Rhino, buddy, I've missed you. Welcome back. I'm so glad Ryan Lieber back where he belongs in the captain's seat here on the Friendly Confines. Chad, it's good to be back. I was on the IL, and I'm glad to be back on the field playing here with you and being able to talk a little baseball. I wish circumstances were different when we're talking about our favorite baseball team, but that doesn't mean we still don't have plenty to talk about. We have so much to talk about, and honestly, if I was going to miss a couple weeks, I would have missed the weeks you missed. It was There was all the stages of mourning and grief and, and and loss. We went through all of them. And now I think we're all trying to get to that stage of acceptance. So that's gonna be a lot of the theme here um, on this week's episode as we take a look at uh, at what's going on with the team, players that, uh, uh, that we're excited about, players we're wondering if it's ever gonna happen before, what this team actually means down the, the this final stretch of 40 to 45 games. And, and, and ultimately, uh, you know, what are the reasons for you to tune in this year or not? Or do you need to take a break? We're going to have that plus a fabulous guest. We got an unbelievable guest this week. I had been working a long time on this one, Chad. Melanie Newman, who is one of the rising stars in the game of baseball. She is the play-by-play announcer for the Baltimore Orioles on their radio network and on MASN. She is going to join us for our seventh inning stretch. And if you remember, Chad, Melanie was part of a historic moment being the play-by-play announcer for the first all-female broadcast of a baseball game that was on YouTube earlier this year. So we're going to get into that with her as well as talking about her career. And uh, you don't want to miss this episode. So stick around because the Friendly Confines starts right now. Hi, everybody. I'm Ryan Lieber. He is Chad Gordon. And Chad, it's good to be back. Let's start as we always do, that being in the first inning. And I feel like there's a lot to catch up on. Obviously, the biggest news starting with Jake Arrieta. He was officially released from the team after a very, very difficult 2021 season for this ball club. He looked good early, and then it just kind of fell apart. So let's talk legacy, as Jake Arrieta most likely will probably be retiring, at least you would assume so. What will Jake's legacy with the Chicago Cubs ultimately be? We'll start there first. Yeah, and and I'll lead off by saying this, and this may surprise some listeners. I'll I'll share this towards the end. I was really surprised that the Cubs made this move. I'll tell you why in just a second. But from a legacy, um, you have to separate it, I really think. I mean, what happened here in 2021 is not Jake Arrieta, the legacy of the Cubs. This, What he did, what happened every time he took the mound this year will not impact what he did in the past. That trade that brought him over in the early teens basically was the start. It was the first move. It was when the front office actually was striking gold with some of their moves. And he came in, and there was a period in 15 and 16 that he was probably the greatest pitcher to ever pitch. He was that good. Cy Young Award winner in 2015. He goes in even before the wild card game against the Pirates in 15 and basically trolls the entire Pirates fan base and says, it doesn't matter. You don't have a chance, basically, he says. And then he wins two World Series games. People don't realize that. Ben Zobris is the MVP, but in retrospect, I always thought Jake Arrieta, it, it would have been more deservedly to do a co-MVP or or give him it outright because he won two World Series games and won the all-important sixth game that, that set up Game 7. Lights out, incredible. Um, if you take Mordecai Brown out of the equation, 
uh, Jake Area had the 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 greatest pitching performance in Cubs history over a season in 15. Now here's the problem: 2021, with a minimum of 20 starts, Jake actually had the worst statistical pitching performance in Cubs history. That's bad, but it's not going to tarnish his legacy in my eyes. The reason I said earlier, Ryan, that I was surprised by this, I really truly believe this team is built to fail now. It really is. They want to lose as many games as they can and finish with a top four, five, or six pick and bringing Jake out there. Jake's the only guy out there that really a lot of jerseys are still in the, in the crowd. There are people that would show up a, a week and a half from now to see Jake's second start from now. And they would give him a standing ovation for what he did in the past. It's a legacy thing, but it got so ugly, especially with with uh, um, the, the the recent Brewers loss. And and nobody's saying it, but I mean, it's interesting to see with Rizzo gone, Jake gone. Are we going to actually get over the hump with the, the people with, that needed to be vaccinated? Because as we know, Jake was one of those vocal anti-vaxxer minorities. But I'm jumping all over the place. I'll just say. He provided some of the most thrilling moments for me as a Cubs fan. Um, I think he's the most important pitcher in Cubs history because of what he did in a short time. Um, and the Cubs wouldn't have been able to do it without him. That stretch from 2014 to 2017, Chad, is unmatched, um, in my opinion, by any pitcher that ever played for the Cubs, um, you know, in, unless you're talking about a, a Ferguson Jenkins or a Mordecai Brown even a Rick Sutcliffe and a Greg Maddox, in my opinion, um, as you mentioned, Jake's 2015 campaign is arguably the greatest single season for a pitcher that ever put on a Chicago Cubs uniform. Um, I know you and I have actually had that debate in the past, and uh, it's, it's certainly up there and in the conversation. Here's the thing. No player, well, most players, don't go out the way that they ultimately want to go out. Unfortunately, a lot of guys, you got to tear the uniform off of them if they're no longer going to be on the field. And in this instance, unfortunately, Jake Arrieta was a guy who refused to believe that his best years were behind him, that he was still able to figure it out and was going to be able to kind of get his stuff and his command under control. He had a great start. It actually was pretty surprising. And I think a lot of Cubs fans were really excited about what we were seeing early on from Jake. But things, as you said, fell apart really quickly and it got really, really ugly. And then, as you mentioned, like the press conference where he asked the reporter to remove uh, their masks so he could understand the question. And it just doesn't sit well. And in today's society, Chad, especially with where the world is at this moment, I don't think that people, especially athletes, when they're in the position they're in and they are not performing and they have a stance that is extremely unpopular, that it's best to have them representing your organization. And I'm not saying that's the core reason, because I think if Jake Arrieta had his numbers flipped and he was pitching great, we'd be having a different conversation, of course. But I just think it was time. And I, you, you talk about them tanking. I also think that the Cubs want to try and see what they have with these young pitchers. And having Jake take up a spot on a roster that really isn't going to benefit him or the team in the long run, I can understand why this decision was made. Don't forget, if it comes up in trivia, and hopefully this won't be a long-standing trivia question, but the last pitcher for Cubs wearing his Cubs uniform to have a postseason win, Jake Arrieta, 
2017. It has been a long time since the Cubs have won in the postseason. Let's move on to the second inning and kind of on topic here. Uh, I remember we always get so many great guests on the podcast, but I remember when we had George Will on there, the smartest guy we've ever had as a guest. And he, he, his quote to us was just something effective. I've always hated the moniker lovable losers. It basically says that the team's getting a free pass, no matter what happens, going to support them, even though they put out a quality product, but Rhino, are we at that stage now? Are, are, is this team, you know, you talked about new faces, new pitchers, new guys to support, but is this team now, are they reverting back? Do you think they will try to hold on to the lovable losers, um, monitor, uh, you know, and, and get people behind that? Or do you think this team is going to strive again to be competitive? Well, I don't think they're lovable losers, Chad, and I'll tell you why. To be a lovable loser, you have to enjoy the team and the players on it, even though they're losing. I don't like these teams. I don't like these players. I'm not saying they're bad guys, but there's nothing lovable about this team. It's not enjoyable. And so I kind of always looked at the quote-unquote lovable losers moniker as players like Sammy Sosa and Ryan Sandberg and Mark Grace and, you know, Rick Sutcliffe, Greg Maddox, who were great guys and good players, but just unfortunately were on bad teams. This is a bad team with a lot of bad players right now. And so there's nothing lovable about that. Now, Jed Hoyer was recently um, interviewed and, you know, a lot of talk is about, to your point, is this team going to be stuck and mired in mediocrity or even worse than that? And apparently Jed Hoyer seems to think that just because we're losing right now, it doesn't mean that going forward, that's the way the Cubs are going to look. So I'd like to think that this offseason is more about um, retooling and rebuilding and putting a team together that's going to look much different than what we're currently seeing on the field. And that's going to include, hopefully, really good players and young players as well that they can build around and can be at least respectful um, and or rather respectable going into the 2022 season. But no, I don't think they're lovable losers because for me to be a lovable loser – You got to really love this team because you love the guys on the team. And as you've said in the past, right now, I don't even know if I'm rooting for laundry necessarily because there's just nothing lovable about this team. What about you? We're going to talk in a little bit about should we continue to be watching, supporting, do those things. This is a different topic. This is about really the future of the organization. And I, I feel very strongly about that this is the opportunity to lose. You know, just like when the Giants won three last decade, they didn't do well each consecutive year. They actually did very poorly, loaded up, got some younger talent, and then came back and competed the next year. I have no reason to think that this Cubs team isn't going to be active in free agency and is not going to do what is necessary to placate a fan base. And and here's my thought on this, and I don't think a lot of people – I was talking on our our Friendly Confines Chicago Cubs Facebook page today with a couple people when I gave my thoughts – about just dealing with coping with loss. And I basically said, this front office, with only about $40 million committed next year, has the type of flexibility they've never had in in recent history. And this is not a franchise that's going to spend $40 million rather in payroll. They are going to spend money. Only $40 million is committed. They are going to make a splash in what is going to be a very power-packed, star-studded, free agent market littered with shortstops along with Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo, and Chris Bryant and others. 
this is a this is a front office and a Ricketts family group that is that, that has a problem right now. They have an issue where a lot of their season ticket base, because they've really ramped up the number of season ticket holders, they came on in the mid-teens. They came on when this team started to win. And I'm not calling any of these fans bandwagoners, but there's a lot of new fans that did not suffer for, for many years. They've only known this recent success. And there are season ticket holders that are going to bail by the hundreds and maybe even a few thousand. I know this because I'm on a Chicago Cubs, made by the Chicago Cubs season ticket holder Facebook page that we only have access to. And not a lot of people are happy. And a lot of people are saying, I'm losing my butt on these tickets. I'm, I'm done. I'm over. We can't do it. The Cubs need to make a splash. They need to do it before the deposits are due. Otherwise, they're going to be forced to sell a lot more tickets that are normally sold to, to season ticket holders. Long timers like me aren't going anywhere because we've seen the ups and the downs. But this franchise, that's, that's, that's my one saving grace. They've got a lot of flexibility. Their minor league system is jam-packed like never before. They're probably going to get a top five pick in this upcoming draft, which who knows what that could, what that could uh, um, bring in. I don't think we're ever going to see a point where they're just going to rest on their laurels of people will come out. They will come out because it's Wrigley Field. They're coming out because they love the cubby blue hats and, and jerseys, and they love the history of this franchise. They need to put up a competitive team, and they're going to spend money. I will be shocked if we are not among the league leaders in, in uh, payroll, but I hope they do it in a way where they aren't hamstrung like they were in the last couple of years where they couldn't make a splash other than a Kimbrel here and a U Darvish there. All right, so let us move on now, Chad, to the third inning and one of the new faces on the uh, Chicago Cubs who has actually had a uh, nice little run so far, that being Rafael Ortega. Uh, what is your takeaway so far of Rafael Tor Ortega and his potential staying power with this team? This is a guy, I mean, you talked before, I don't love any of these guys, and you didn't say that in a negative way. We're going to talk about the lineup in a little bit. You're not negative about, about Fargus or Wisdom or, or Duffy or any of these guys. It's just like it's hard to root for these guys because they replace all these legends, right? Well, Rafael Ortega is a guy that if you're not noticing him and if you're not watching what's going on, you're missing something really special. Not only after you know the huge fire sale purge a couple weeks ago did Rafael come out and hit – a franchise tying three home runs in a game, but he is, I believe has reached base in a career high 15 straight games. And since the all-star break, he's hitting about 420. What I loved when he let off the game yesterday, yesterday's, and this is we're recording this on Friday. They got destroyed by the Brewers on Thursday night, 17 to four before he took the plates. I don't know if you saw this, Ryan, because you probably weren't watching. Not a lot of fans are. The crowd at Wrigley was chanting MVP, MVP, and he promptly <laughs> let off the game with another hit. I love what I'm seeing from this guy. He's the guy that, I mean, everybody out there, every from the Romines to, to just every single person that's out there, they're out there trying to get someone to notice them. There's a lot of long time. A lot of the star prospects are not in the lineup for the Cubs guys. I mean, the spoiler alert, they're holding back on their, their service time. So a lot of the guys we're seeing right now are guys that have been in the minors that the Cubs may not have a lot of belief in, or they think we can make some tradable assets. Rafael Ortega is a guy I think could be that role player, or he could be a guy that says, you know what? I want to be your center fielder next year. Watch what I can do. And right now he's doing nothing to me. That makes me feel like he doesn't have something special inside of him. Yeah, no, I do like what I've seen so far. I mean, just to run some of his numbers, 333 batting average, six home runs, 17 RBIs um, in 60 games with 147 plate appearances. I mean, yeah, he's been a, a bright spot so far 
for a team like you said, it's not that I dislike these players. It's just I don't really have a rooting interest in a lot of these guys because I don't have any loyalty to any of them. Now, if they develop and they turn into some really good players, okay, sure. That's another story. But um, I certainly think he's, as of now, one of the people you can look at and say, okay, this is somebody that maybe down the road could be someone that is sticking around and someone that we have in our starting lineup. And as you said, can play the outfield regularly, whether that's in center field or left field or wherever that may be. So I I like him and I think that he's got, you know, some ability to uh, potentially show us something. I guess I'm a little hesitant, Chad, because haven't we seen, I mean, just go through the names in the past of all the Cubs lore outfielders or players over the years that we thought were, like showing us something and then it's like, eh, yeah, no, not much. And then they end up getting traded. So I let's just call me cautiously optimistic, I suppose, when it comes to somebody like Rafael Ortega. I'm not all in on him, but hey, at least there's somebody right now in the lineup that you can look to and say, okay, let's see what this guy's got. And so far, it's at least a little bit of a shining uh, star in the lineup of otherwise a bunch of guys that really – um, are not going to probably be around this team for much longer. Yeah, and, and let's say the Jed and, and the front office don't see him in the future. He's done something to make him a potential tradable asset, something that, that, that this team could do something with in the offseason um, if they want to go in a different direction. And let's not forget this. You talked about other uh, outfielders that have done things, and you've gotten them excited. We could list we could list 20 right now. All of us could, could list them. But, you know, on a Friday night against the Dodgers, the New York Mets are trotting out Albert Almar Jr. to start to try to beat the Dodgers. So um, there's life for all these people. So it's going to be interesting to see where uh, where Rafael Ortega ends up. But he's definitely excited me over the last few weeks. Now, here's a player that has not excited me as we move into the fourth inning. Is one of these guys that you just you just thought, you know, high draft pick, top 10, one of the last big picks before the Cubs stopped picking, you know, higher up in the rounds, Ian Happ. Here's a guy, switch hitter. Here's a guy that can play infield, can play outfield, has has a great arm, um, great hustle, workmanlike attitude, um, and could have been, should have been, was hoped to be the answer at leadoff because this Cubs not had a, a consistent leadoff batter uh, since Dexter Fowler. Maybe Raphael is that guy because he's been doing great in that spot. But Ian Happ, what is going on with Ian? And is this a guy that can turn it around or is this just like you were talking about before, just another example of a Cubs outfielder, a center fielder especially, that whether it's the lights and the, and the glare of the big market in Chicago just doesn't have what it takes to be what this team needs? Yeah, Chad, I hate to say this because, as you said, there's a lot of positives that Ian Happ brings to the table. He's versatile. He's fast. He's got a great personality. He has a lot of talent. But I also think this is a situation where sometimes it's best to just get a fresh start and a clean slate somewhere else. And I unfortunately feel like Ian Happ is one of those guys. I I don't think it is in the Cubs' best interest to keep him. He's clearly not able to, you know, feel comfortable in this lineup. And I don't know if he just his confidence is clearly shaken. He doesn't feel comfortable at the plate. Sometimes it's just best to kind of, go somewhere else where you feel like, okay, if I go somewhere else to start anew and I can get out there and, you know, kind of clear my head and be on a different baseball field on a regular basis and be around different teammates and have a different manager that will maybe allow him to kind of get himself to a place where he needs to be. I I just don't see it right now with this guy. And 
you know, how many chances are you going to give somebody? I, I, I understand he's only 27, but again, at the end of the day, this is somebody that had a lot of promise and we're not seeing it. And I, I truly believe that maybe it's just best that both these parties kind of go their separate ways and allow him to potentially develop somewhere else and, and see if that's ultimately going to give him a chance to succeed or the Cubs could be right and they let him go. And he ultimately doesn't really, um, you know, get any better. And the Cubs made the right decision by cutting him loose. So if I'm Jed Hoyer, I would probably say it's probably best to find a training partner uh, or, you know, just let him walk and uh, allow him to find another team that he can maybe uh, get better on. What about you? No need to trade. And I, I, I just looked this up because I did actually thought there was another year of control, but the, he's, he, it, this is it. He's on a one-year contract. He's making 4-1 or 4-2. Um, at the end of this year, the Cubs and, and Ian Happ can decide if they want to try this again. I think Ian Happ's the perfect person based on what he's doing this year to help engineer a really bad end of the season with 45 games left to go going into the Marlins series. That's it. That's all we have left. Trying to go for one of those top four, five, or six picks. You know, batting under 180. I think he's 176. You know, an OPS under 2-9. Um, you know, when he came on in 2017, 27 home runs. And this was a time, if you remember back then, um, that was, you know, he was coming in limited, but he came in and, and I think all the star power was not on him. It was on all the other guys. So he had an opportunity to shine in a low pressure situation. I think what we're seeing right now is a guy that, that isn't able to kind of take the mantle, take the role. Because God knows Jason Hayward doesn't want to have that role. He's surely not going to step up either. And guys, we're not going to talk about Jason this week. We're going to talk about him next week. But um, Ian Happ is is probably going as far as he can go in his Cubs career. I don't know what could change in a lot of ways because of all the guys we've talked about before. I question the Chicago Cubs' ability to develop players and young players, and that's concerning to me because you just don't see it. You know, I don't think they developed Chris Bryant. I think Chris Bryant was a superhuman beast who was fully formed in the womb in that way. Ian Happ needed some seasoning, and he doesn't have it. If you had a choice right now to start over this season, would you start with Ian Happ in center field or Rafael Ortega? You know the answer to that. And so I think as you look forward to the future and a team that's going to be competitive and a team that probably can do more, what Ian has shown really in the last couple of years uh, has shown that he is not a part of this, this, this franchise. Um, and I hope he catches fire somewhere else because I, he has all the makeup, all the tools, but he's never really been able to put it together on a consistent basis. Yep. All true. So let us move on now to the fifth inning chat and, so with that being said, what new face do you feel like ultimately stays in 2022? I mean, you got Matt Duffy, Frank Swindell. You've got Robinson Chironis. You've got Johnny Eshwi Fargus. Um, those are guys we're probably not going to see a lot from going forward. David Bodie's going to come back because he's on a team-friendly deal. Patrick Wisdom, I think, may have created an opportunity, again, as a trade target or somebody you want to say, hey, we're going we're gonna, to, depending on what we do in the free agency market, you, you might be our left fielder. You might be our first baseman. You might be our, our third baseman. Um, Sergio Alcantara is definitely going to be there. Nico is going to be there. Who knows if Nico goes to the outfield? Maybe he's our center fielder of the future with Nick Madrigal coming over from the White Sox 
Um, I love that Nick Madrigal trade. I've mentioned this before. In high school, in college, in minors, and in pros, he's never batted under 300. That's what this team needs. What familiar faces are we going to see of the new faces? I do believe this is kind of like that trivia question of name the 2011 Cubs lineup. And it's going to be very hard for many people to get that right because those were a lot of players that never played anywhere before, never played anywhere after. And I think we're seeing that with a lot of these guys. I think wisdom has staying power. I think Ortega has staying power. I think the rest of the new faces and the new names doesn't really matter. They're going to serve a role. And that role is to respectfully wear the uniform and try to make it competitive, even though they have not made it competitive. Um, I don't know if you saw this stat. They've lost eight straight going into the Marlins series, Ryan. And for the first time in their 145-year history as a franchise, they lost all seven games of a seven-game homestand. So they're trying, I think, but they are so overmatched. And so to answer the question, I think I, think I would not invest in many jerseys down the stretch with this team. This is a team that reminds me of what it looks like in the movie Major League, Chad. We'll get into the movies a little bit later. But, yeah, I mean, it's just it's a bunch of guys that you've never heard of before. And you kind of mentioned the Rolodex of names that most casual fans would sit there and go, I have no idea who that is. And you and I are diehard fans. And I'm having a hard time coming up with who is on this team. For me, I think wisdom is kind of the guy that you say, okay, let's see how the offseason plays out. And to your point, he's a guy who I think can fit in a lot of different places. He can play third. He can play the outfield. He can play first base. He could potentially play shortstop. He can play a lot of different positions. He's got a cannon for an arm, and he's got some pop in his bat. Man can hit home runs. He's already got 18 on the season. The only question I have is, is Patrick Wisdom considered a rookie? I'm still trying to figure out if he can be considered rookie of the year or not. Yes, yes, yes. All right, so there you go. So I think Wisdom actually has a chance to play a role on this team, as well as Ortega. We talked about him, too. But if you're asking me for one name right now of the guys who's kind of getting a chance to start on a regular basis, Wisdom's a guy who I think has an opportunity to potentially, if a full season were to be presented to him, this guy can pop 30 home runs, Chad. I mean, he, he can. He's got some power in that bat. So he's the guy I'd like to stick around. Yeah, he could be a trade asset as well. But why not give him also a chance to see what you have in him and decide, okay, depending on who we get in the offseason, we can, you know, kind of plug him into a position and, and give him a shot to, you know, really prove his worth and prove how good he potentially could be um, for this baseball team. So I'm going to go with Patrick Wisdom as my guy. Let's move on to the sixth inning and similar to the lovable loser question, but it's different. So I'm going to preface this with, you know, raise your hand listeners. And we so appreciate that you're sticking with us because you're the diehard fans, right? You're the ones that are actually still care about the Cubs news and the content or your supporters of our stuff. But raise your hand if you've watched a lot of Cubs games straight through over the last couple of weeks or if you just checked in on them or maybe like did a Twitter check like like yesterday. I bet a lot of people are like, oh, it was a day game. Oh, oh, it was 17 to four. Um, but raise your hand if you watch that Field of Dreams game and it reminded you of how good it used to be. And so the question I pose to you, Ryan, is there any reason in your mind as you go into the Marlins series, 45 games to go? Is there a reason to watch this game on the Marquee Network, listen to, listen to Pat and Ron um, on, uh, on the radio, 
what is your take? Do you need some time? Are you going to keep watching this team? What's the reason for or against? Well, if I, can, do I have to be completely honest here? I mean, I do host a podcast with you, so I feel like I have to kind of pretend that I'm still watching these games and really knowing what's going on. But I'll be <laughs> completely honest here, Chad. I'll, I'll be completely honest here. I, it is hard to watch a baseball team that is not competitive, and it is hard to watch a team that you care about when they are not good and they are specifically trying not to be good. Now, I don't know about you, but between the years 2011 and 2014, I think I can count on one hand the amount of Cubs games I actually watched when they were um, playing during that era of baseball. Now, 2015, obviously a whole different story. The day that Joe Madden became the manager, the day that John Lester got signed, Oh, yeah. Like I was able to kind of get back into it. I I think it's hard when you have a life of other things that you do and you have, um, you know, whether you have kids or you're married or you have a career to say to yourself, I'm going to set aside time to watch a game and a team in particular that is not interesting And it's not fun to watch. You know, they always say, if you're not going to be good, at least be interesting. And sadly, the Cubs are neither. So it's getting really difficult for me to sit here and say, like, I'm excited or interested to see what this team can do. I'm looking forward to seeing what Justin Steele or Keegan Thompson can do. Maybe. Yeah, I'd be curious to see. But I also have had plenty of Mike Harkies in my life and, you know, those types of pitchers that, you know, don't end up becoming anything and they have all this quote unquote promise. So for me, I I just have to be honest and say that I don't really have much to be excited about until I see where they finish and I get a chance to get excited about where they're drafting. And then we can talk about which prospects that they are going to potentially, you know, get overall, um, if they get a top five pick or maybe even, you know, a top three pick. So that, that is my stance on it. I have a feeling you have a much different stance though than I do. I'm going to answer this in a couple different ways. One, you talked about 2011 to 14. Um, that's when I became a Cubs season ticket holder. My first four years as a Cubs season ticket holder, they averaged 94 and a half losses a year. That was the average. So think about that. And I was there pimping those guys out and getting excited about it and watching it and going to the park a lot and making tickets available to my friends as always face value. If they're good or they're bad, always face value for my friends. Um, So, so there's, there's that aspect of it is if you like baseball and you like Pat Hughes or you like watching games on TV, yes, continue to watch it. If you need a break, because you don't have any connection to this team. And again, I don't want to say that that's a, a, maybe that might be on a newer fan who just really, really connected with this new group of guys, right? Over the last seven years, I get it. Take a break, wait for some newer stars to come up to excite you. Um, There was really entertaining baseball on in this last week, that field of dreams game, which we're going to talk about in the eighth inning. um, That was fun baseball. And I miss that. And I think you're right. You hit it on the head, Ryan. There's not a lot of interesting things or reasons to watch this team. But if you like the break, like the hardest thing for me during COVID, among many hard things, was not having 162 games. That was a part of my world. I would block my my home office around it. I'd block my days off around it. I would always have Pat in my ear, and I didn't have that. So that made it even more lonely 
in 2020. Um, so I would just say, you know, watch it. Don't watch it. It doesn't matter. This team's going to be back. Don't give up on this team. Don't think that this front office is doing something to you. This is a time of transition. We had the greatest run in Chicago Cubs history since 2015, if you take this year out of the equation. And that's something to enjoy. It's something to reminisce on. And now it's time for them to rebuild it again. This team and this franchise and this ownership group, there is not going to be another 108 years. They know they've got to be competitive. They've invested too much into Wrigley, too much into what's around the field to not put on a competitive product. They've got a new TV network to not get ratings and be able to do ad sales. They need to be competitive. They need to be a, put a good product out for the consumers that is you and I and all of our listeners. And so if you need to take a break, that's fine. But make sure you're back when they come back and suffer the scratches and bruises. Anthony Rizzo was on a lot of those really bad teams. Anthony Rizzo was on a team that lost more than 100 games. And it wasn't really fun to watch, but I sure loved watching Anthony go from 100 losses to 100 wins. That's going to happen again, and it's going to happen with a group that, of guys that I guarantee you don't even know who they are. Hey, it's Carmen DeFalco from ESPN in Chicago, and you're listening to The Friendly Confines with Chad and Ryan. Time now for the seventh inning stretch here on The Friendly Confines. We have an amazing guest this week. This is somebody who is a rising star in the broadcasting world, and I've been working on this interview for months now, and I'm so glad that she is joining us here today. You can find her as the uh, newest announcer for the Baltimore Orioles on their radio network and on MASN. And of course, she was the lead broadcaster for what was the first broadcast of an all-women broadcasting team for the Rays and Orioles game. We'll get into that with her as well. It is my pleasure to welcome Melanie Newman to the seventh inning stretch here on the Friendly Confines. Melanie, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us. I Thank you for having me. It's really, really awesome to finally be a part of this with you guys. Well, it's it's great to talk to you, Melanie. I so appreciate it. Um, you can find Melanie also on Twitter at Melanie Lynn N and on Instagram, same name, Melanie Lynn N. All right, Melanie. So let's dive into this. Um, you're not the first female play-by-play -play announcer, but from my perspective, and I'm curious what yours is, you're, I think, the first of a new generation of females who are now broadcasting baseball games. And I know it's not something you asked for. I know it's not something that you are looking to be in the limelight of. But I'm curious when you have time, when you reflect, and you know, there's kind of no one around, or maybe you're just with your family, that you're able to bask in the accomplishments and what you have been able to do um, on such a positive level for women in this industry and what it means. Can you kind of put that into words? Yeah, um, it's still a work in progress, I guess. I actually was discussing this last night. Um, we've got the Detroit Tigers radio crew actually at Camden with us for the series that we're in the middle of. And so they were asking me the same thing. And um, it's, it's just weird. If I could put it any other way, it's tough because um, everything is still remote. And so I think that's what has always driven big moments home for really anybody is the people you share it with and the environment that you get to be around. Um, and because we are in a removed environment, you, you don't really have a lot of that 
personal connection. Of course, you do get it through social media, which has been just absolutely overwhelming in the most possible way. Um, to see the number of people and, and the type of some people, like Billie Jean King, people I never thought would even know who I was, who took the time out of their day to say something. Um, and it's humbling and, and it does make me feel really grateful that I was one of those who was selected to participate in that group of women because there are several of us, you know, it, it didn't have to be me. They could have gone with a different option and they didn't. Um, and I, I just think it's going to be that moment that continues to evolve over the years as we get back to having, you know, full blown out baseball and getting to actually travel with the team and, and meet fans. Um, something that I've been looking forward to for so long. Um, I, I think that's where it'll really kind of hit home and, and sink in a little further. I've gotten a couple letters from parents about their children watching and, and their reaction, and especially with little girls saying, you know, well, why does she do that? I've never seen a girl do that and, and their explanation of it. And um, it pulls on your heartstrings just because I knew when I grew up, this wasn't something I ever thought about doing simply because there wasn't the representation of another female that was doing it. So that's always the hope is that you move forward and boys and girls alike get to remove gender roles off of anything, whether that's a hobby, a job, um, whatever comes their way, because it, it really shouldn't have any bearing at all at the end of the day on what we do. So, so you brought up the YouTube broadcast where it was the all-female broadcast crew. Did you guys, the, the four of you, kind of have a moment where you were able to discuss what that meant um, in the industry and what that meant for, like you said, young girls who maybe aspire one day to be a broadcaster? Yeah, so the kind of crazy thing about it is that we had um, our hosts with Heidi Watney and Lauren Gardner, um, myself, and then my analyst, Sarah Langs. We were all in the studios in New Jersey. Um, and then Alana Rizzo, our sideline reporter, was the only one who was actually on site in Tampa Bay. Um, now, the funny thing with that being is that they actually did try to have us all on site for that game. Um, but because game three was at noon and Baltimore was still calling the games remotely, we had no way of guaranteeing that I could return to Baltimore to call game three remotely after calling game two in person in time. Um, so we had, I think we had moments because we had a lot of round robin style interviews with different media companies um, where they would, they would just call on, on one of us to answer particular questions. And so we bounced off of each other with a few things, but um, we, we still didn't really get to fully have that moment of just us having a, a private, intimate conversation about what that day is, because we each came from different levels of experience and background and, um, ultimately goals within this job. And I think that's, what's really unique as well, was just to have so many different people involved in it. Um, we did have a text going for a couple of days after of, you know, wow, did you see this? Or so-and-so talked about it and I still can't believe it. And I think that was what was cool though, too, was knowing that while I still feel like a rookie here in the big leagues, these are some seasoned veterans who are also equally blown away by just the response to the fact that all we did was show up and go to work. I mean, for all of us, we were doing a job that we've done almost every day for years now. And um, it still creates really huge change and, and a big shift in how people approach things. I, I, I wanna kind of go back for a second to my first question, because um, I know, like you said, it's not a role that you have asked to be put in to kind of be the, 
the face of this new generation, but how does that make you feel? And how do you kind of embrace that um, being this person who uh, so many people are now looking at as kind of changing the way that this industry is when it comes to um, women being play-by-play -play announcers or commentators and not being pigeonholed into that sideline reporter that, you know, has, has kind of been the norm for so long. Um, it, it is pressure. I'm, I'm not going to dance around that or, or make it look differently. And I think something I'll always appreciate was last year when my hiring by Baltimore was announced, um, Susan Waldman, who I just oh, have the utmost respect for for eternity, um, a lot of people asked her, oh, how, do, how do you feel about this? And she's in the ALEs with you. And she said, you know, it's really not fair because they're coming in with these expectations and the aplomb as if you're a 10-year veteran and you're just not. And she didn't mean that in any way degrading, but it was, you know, I, I wasn't given any room to be able to be better and to breathe and to grow um, without a lot of attention drawn onto it. I mean, I'm, I'm a year and a half into a big league deal right now. And I, I definitely know that there's still a long way for me to go to, to get better and to really be at the level of some of the broadcasters who I idolize, who I think are the, the voices of summer. Um, so you, you think about that constantly because in the back of your head, it's like, okay, well, if I, if I mess up a call or if I do something wrong, um, it's magnified 10 times more than what it would be for a man. And then you take it a step further and you think if I mess up badly enough, that changes somebody's opinion on how women as a whole, like one entire gender and their ability to do a job, which just isn't true. And I mean, there are so many qualified, talented women, some who are much better than I am at this. And um, you just, you really just try to block it out of your brain sometimes. And of course, once we're in a game setting, I have really good broadcast partners and um, it doesn't come into my head a lot, but it's the quiet moments, especially when you see the headlines or someone somehow finds a way to break through the million filters on any of my social media or my emails. Um, and, you know, they choose to voice some, some not kind words. Uh, but you just, you have to lean on your inner circle and, and keep going and, and having their support and knowing that you, you are supposed to be here. And that's not always easy either, because it is easy to get into your head some days and say, oh, you know, may maybe I was just hired for a headline, or maybe I was just hired for a diversity claim. Um, and, and you know, you know, at the core, it's not true. Uh, the Orioles have been very open that, you know, they, they did hire me for my background and the work ethic I put forward. It wasn't just about a publicity stunt for them, which um, always means a lot. I don't think I could ever work for somebody who did want the other end of that. But um, it's it's a daily just mental reinforcement of of showing up and, and telling yourself that you can do the job and asking other people how you can get better and, and just trusting everybody around you that it's, it's going to be okay. And there's going to be more women who come up behind you to the point where you're not the focus anymore. It's, it's just going to be, Hey, there's a bunch of women and there's a bunch of men. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I know they say that you remember the, the stings more than the compliments and that goes for anybody, but uh, I, for one can sit here and say, you are the furthest thing uh, from, you know, a publicity stunt. I've listened to your work. You, you are fabulous and you have earned the job that you have and all the accolades and, and achievements. So for whatever that's worth, I, 
Uh, absolutely. I appreciate that. Yes, for, for sure. Uh, we're talking with Melanie Newman of the Baltimore Orioles Radio Network and MASN. So you, you bring up a great point. And to segue into this, Melanie, there was that really great piece on HBO Sports. I think you know what I'm talking about when it comes to women in broadcasting. And one of your close friends, Jessica Kleinschmidt, who's a friend of the show, as we like to say, she uh, was interviewed for that piece. And I asked Jessica this question too, and I'll ask you, where are we now? And you said it's kind of a work in progress, but do you think maybe even three years from now, four years from now, we're going to be having a different conversation when it comes to this topic and that we are going to be able to kind of have more normalcy in this profession when it comes to having, as you said, both men and women shouldn't matter what the gender is that's calling the games. Yeah, I, and I really think you actually may have nailed it within that three, four year mark, just because I know the women who are coming up in the minor leagues and I've heard their stuff and I know how good they are at this. And so there are there are people who are waiting just below and knocking on the door to get into this. Um, you just want to see it at the end of the day treated like any other day. And that was one thing I think we were all really vocal about with that first game um, on YouTube was you know, we're, we're grateful and we're always going to be so appreciative of the fact that people do want to talk about it and bring awareness to it and let other people see it because the more they talk about it, the more eyes it does get in front of. And the, that's how you make that change to normalize it. However, you want to get to that point now where, okay, we've, we have knocked out every first there is that the ceiling is down and, and now it's just open range. So the next woman that comes on board, it's, hey, we have hired this qualified broadcaster, period. Um, you know, and, and the odds are is that she will be another first female for that organization because to date it's the Orioles, the Rockies, and the Yankees. And that, that leaves a lot more out there looking for a first still. Um, but you know that it's absolutely capable of happening. I know the Marlins have, have Kelly Sacco doing a multiple end role with them as well, which is really cool to see. Um, but it's, it's inevitable at this point to not have more people from more backgrounds involved, especially as we focus on wanting to grow baseball. And, you know, we want the players to be loud. We want the fans to feel like that it is still a sport for everybody, even though it's one of the oldest um, really across the board, but um, that's how you do it. That's how you bring in those fans is you bring in broadcasters who not only can identify with them, but give them that representation and give them something that they can understand and relate to in a broadcast. Hey everybody, it's Ryan Baker from CBS2 Chicago. You are listening to the friendly confines of my good friends, Chad and Ryan. And once again, our thanks to Baltimore Orioles broadcaster, Melanie Newman. Chad, I've been working on that interview for a really <laughs> long time. I am so glad we finally were able. And in fact, Chad, if you remember, even on our Facebook page, the Chicago Cubs Friendly Confines Facebook page, when we would occasionally... Uh, ask our, you know, uh, you know, folks who are part of the page who you would want us to interview. Melanie Newman was one of the names that popped yep. up that they yep. wanted us to yep. get. And uh, man, I was so excited when she said yes. And she is such a great, great announcer. I'm really a big fan of hers. Um, she she is just dynamite. And of course, you know, Chad, she was a part of history being the play by play announcer for the all female broadcast on YouTube. Um, in addition to her duties with the Baltimore Orioles, this is somebody who I know we are going to be hearing a lot from 
And uh, she's humble and she is um, obviously talented because she didn't ask for all the, you know, attention to be on her. Um, and even though she's not the first, you know, Susie Waldman is with the Yankees and she has a great relationship with her. Um, you know, I definitely think she speaks for a new generation of young women who are up and coming in the industry. And it is so great to see. So you can find Melanie on Twitter at Melanie Lynn N or Instagram at Melanie Lynn N. So be sure to check her out there. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Ryan D. Lieber. Chad is at the Chad Gordon. You can find us on our Facebook page, as we mentioned, the Chicago Cubs Friendly Confines Facebook page. We would love to interact with you. And we also have our website, theconfines.com, is where you can go to subscribe for every episode that comes out. Just put in your email address, and each week when we record our new episode, you will get our newest episode delivered right to your inbox. So that is how you can find us. And Chad, as we begin the eighth inning. Well, I want to say one other thing. If you're still listening, thank you so much because it is later into the show. And we want to ask a favor and we'll be able to see this. So if you wouldn't mind on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, um, share the, the the most recent episode and let you t- let your friends know that this is um, good content and uh, share this on your Facebook page. Let us know. Join our Facebook page. Um, share the episode. We continue to grow year after year, even now when the Cubs are struggling we still have a very dedicated audience, and so we thank you and we salute you, and we'll be back here week after week with blockbuster guests. So let's move on to the eighth inning and talk about a blockbuster. Rhino, that field of dreams game between the White Sox, who I guess we're supposed to hate. I've already told you I never have hated the White Sox, against the Yankees, who we are supposed to hate because we just should because they're the Yankees. The most watched regular season game in the last 15 years in Major League Baseball. So a, before the game even happened, Commissioner Rob Manfred said, we're definitely having a game next year. But a oh, little bit of a, um, a oopsie. David Ross, the day before, accidentally let slip that the Cubs had been selected to play in next year's Field of Dreams game. So I set this up as a two-parter. One, Ryan, the spectacle of that Field of Dreams games, the feels, the, I mean, the drama of the Yankees taking the lead and, 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 and pouring it on in the top of the ninth only to have that brilliant walk-off home run by Anderson um, in the bottom of the ninth. You couldn't have scripted a better – I mean, if people were trying to get into baseball and you just had them watch that product, I mean, they're a baseball fan now, right? So let me back up, Chad. Let me start with two, and then I'll answer the first question. As far as the Cubs go, I made the point on Twitter the other day that I think Major League Baseball should treat this – like the NFL treats their Thanksgiving game. I think you select four teams that rotate and at least one of these teams is in the field of dreams game each year. Now they can play anybody, but at least one of these four teams, the Cardinals, the Cubs, the White Sox and the Yankees. And I say those three, those four teams, one, because The Cubs, obviously, geographically, the Cubs are a huge team in the state of Iowa. We know they have their AAA affiliate there. They're obviously very popular in the state of Iowa. The Cardinals, as well, have a very strong footing in that community, as well as a national following, as well as the Cubs. The White Sox, of course, because of, again, the geographic location, the fact that the Field of Dreams game was based on Shoeless Joe Jackson with the movie, of course. I think you put them in there. And the Yankees, because the Yankees are the 
franchise of Major League Baseball and have fans on a national level everywhere. You can rotate those four teams and then have them play, you know, the Twins or the Brewers or the Dodgers or the Red Sox, whoever, the Marlins. I don't care. But one of those four teams should at least be in the game each and every year. I'm excited that the Cubs have that opportunity. I really hope that this continues because it was amazing. To answer your second question, just about the game itself. I could not have been more excited for a regular season baseball game than what I saw between the White Sox and the Yankees in the Field of Dreams game. Major League Baseball, Chad, does a lot of things to shoot themselves in the foot. They absolutely crushed this game. They knocked it out of the park. The stadium was amazing. The uniforms were fantastic. The buildup was unbelievable. And then... To have Kevin Costner there coming out of the cornfields with the theme of Field of Dreams and then the players coming out, it gave me chills. It was absolutely a magnificent job by Major League Baseball. And it was, again, an incredible game. As you mentioned, eight home runs. And for Tim Anderson to win it, I got to tell you, it lived up to everything that it possibly could have been it was a wonderful game to watch and easily the best baseball game i have seen chad since the 2016 game seven world series where the cubs of course won the world series so that is my takeaway on it what is your take on what happened the other night i love it and you're absolutely right uh, that's what i i thought about that as well obviously this is a cubs podcast we're cubs fans and and we thought back to 16 but that's 16 Going into the tenth inning, game seven, I mean, that was that was high drama. To have what you had happen and have six runs scored in the ninth inning, win it on a walk off, you know, on the five. That's it was just it was amazing. It was incredible. The visuals were awesome. Some of the things I liked, I liked how they used some drones. I liked how they simplified the graphics. I know that people talk about analytics and stats. I never want to watch another game with the strike zone box ever again. I loved not having the strike zone box. I love it. I want to not be sure if that was on the edge or if that was outside or inside. I love the simplicity. I loved that, that, that Smoltz and Buck friend of the program, Joe Buck, one of our seventh inning guests. Um, I love that they did not go into all of the, all of the big stuff. They kept it simple. They talked about the storylines. They talked about the, the sites. They talked about the players and they just got back to storytelling versus trying to work in math. And I do think, believe it or not, that the younger generation is going to have to embrace this probably is not as excited about StatCast and math. But I know I may be wrong there. Maybe it's just me and, and, and I, maybe I'm old fashioned. I have no idea. It was an incredible spectacle. To your point about keeping it. Well, you didn't, regional is not because I think you could throw the Twins in there as an American League team if you wanted to keep it regional. Having the Yankees come over, I love the idea of let's just rotate this. Let's just where it makes sense. Let's let's whenever you know the Angels are coming over to play the Twins, Angels and Twins over at the Field of Dream games, or when the Yankees are playing in, in two years, or not the Yankees, the Red Sox are playing the Royals. Then they play. I think you spread this out among all teams and you allow every fan base this incredible gift. And I think starting it off with the Yankees and the White Sox, historically for the White Sox was a win. Yankees for the viewership was incredible. But I do truly believe it could have been White Sox and 
the Arizona Diamondbacks and the people would have tuned out to watch, tuned in to watch rather. Um, but the Yankees ensured they had a lot of eyeballs and they delivered on the spectacle. I would love to see every single fan base have this gift. And that could be a rotating 15 year program where the, everybody gets their chance and it makes sense geographically, but it was a treat. It was incredible. So many non fans of baseball got hooked last night and they watched it. It was almost like an event like the Super Bowl, where a casual person isn't watching NFL football, but they watch that game. Same thing with baseball 15 year history, last 15 years, major league baseball, the most viewed game that says everything. They better figure out how to do this more. Baseball always does a great job, Chad, more than any other sport to capture moments like that better than I think any of the major four sports. I, I don't think any of the other sports can compete because of what baseball offers from a historic standpoint. And they, they absolutely just crushed it with this game the other night. And I, I really, really hope that they continue to do it um, because I think that baseball does a great job with this stuff, especially with the little league game that they had a couple of years ago with the Cubs, these sort of little things that bring younger fans into the mix, I think it's just going to help them. It's really just ultimately going to help them. So, um, all right. So let's with uh, that, let's uh, move on finally to the ninth inning, Chad. And uh, Field of Dreams game um, sparking and based off of the movie Field of Dreams, which, you know, you and I spoke about. You actually have not seen the movie Field of Dreams, which, you know, okay, hey, that's that's totally understandable. I'm not one of those people that's going to, uh, admonish somebody for not seeing a movie. There's plenty of movies I have not seen either that are baseball movies. Um, but with that, can you give me a, a quick rundown of your top five worst baseball movies nope. and your top five best baseball movies? Okay, that I mean that's that's a bit of a curveball, buddy. You did not ask me to come prepared with a list of ten baseball movies. I'll talk about my couple favorite okay. and my least favorite, and I will share this. Absolutely, I've seen bits and pieces of Field of Dreams. It didn't connect with me emotionally it just didn't for various personal reasons um and i watched bits and pieces of it but it was it was slow and i think so many people especially men and young boys and fathers um they have that moment where you know they, they, they want to have a catch at the end it, it has that emotional connection it doesn't have it for me that's okay i just i i, it, I i'm just a little different than other people and that's all right um my favorite baseball movie um, without a doubt, is the natural. And I, I just share this to say, I didn't know about, um, you know, about all of the, the vices that, that they were dealing with. I didn't get about, you know, like, you know, the, the, the issues with the front office. I didn't get it with the, you know, the, the, the storyline with the women watching it as, 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 a, as a kid. I didn't understand the lady in white. That was like, the, the, her, that was Roy Hobbs kid. I didn't know any of those things watching it, but I wanted to be in every Little League game Every wiffle ball game, every high school game, and even now when I play, I want to be Roy Hobbs. <laughs> I want to. I want to have the opportunity to overcome adversity, and sometimes at this age, just overcome aches and pains and uh, and a hangover, and and come up with a big hit when it's two outs, it's starting to rain, and the game is on the line. I love the natural. I've watched that many, many, many times. You talked about major league earlier about the, like. Who the, who the blank are these guys? That's one of my, that's one of the great lines from Bob Uecker. And then whoever is his color guy was like, well, I think this guy's dead. And Bob goes, well, scratch him out then. You know, that, so major league is one of the best, absolutely funny movies. Um, and, and so I put those two as kind of one, two. 
Um, I did like um, uh, Bull Durham for a lot of entertaining reasons. I don't think it holds up as well. And, and you definitely can't watch uh, Nuke Lelouch's uh, wind up and his delivery and not cringe every single time. It's really bad. Those are my top three. Um, and I'd probably put them in that order. Um, so movies I haven't seen. I have not seen. Um, I've not seen Rookie of the Year. I've not seen Baumgartner, even though I know all the references. I see the guy throws out the first pitch. He sings the seventh inning stretch. I haven't seen it. I need to pull some kids together and watch that because it is a Cubs-based, not really factually, but Wrigley Field-based um, uh, movie. I need to watch that. There are some bad movies out there, um, and uh, I would just say every other Major League movie after the first one is probably on that list. But I don't have the list of 10. You really put me on the spot there. But I would share Natural is something I could watch tomorrow. I enjoy it. It still gives me the feels, and we're all humming that music da, 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 when he hits it up into the lights. So that to me was pretty magical as a kid. And yes, I still want to be Roy Hobbs. The, the natural is absolutely a fantastic movie. And for me, I do love field of dreams. It, it really is. And I, I'm not just saying it because obviously of everything that happened, but when I think about baseball movies that really just are just such an emotional movie and they make you cry and they give you, something to be excited about and and just a love for i just felt like that was such a terrific movie now there's lots of baseball movies that are out there that i have never seen before as you mentioned that are really good the sandlot i've heard is one of the best baseball movies i've never actually seen the sandlot before um so that's one of them the pride of the yankees an older movie with gary cooper playing lou gehrig i've never seen that movie before you know so there's a there's a lot out there that i've never had the opportunity to see um moneyball i think is a really good movie i think that um you know you mentioned uh the natural as well that that's up there and I, I major league for me even though some people may not think it's a good baseball movie i still say it is like the premier comedic baseball movie and i i love major league and i will go to my grave saying that so there's lots of bad baseball movies and and movies that you've probably never heard of Mr. 3000 with Bernie Mac was a horrible movie. Um, you know, and I didn't even see a lot of these. The Benchwarmers, Ed with Matt LeBlanc from uh, Joey fame on Friends. I mean, there, there's a lot of garbage out there. Summer Catch is another movie. Freddie Prince Jr. Um, the Fan with Robert De Niro and Wesley Snipes. I don't even know if you can call that a baseball movie so much as it's just a thriller movie. But uh, a lot of bad baseball movies. But as you said, the classics like the natural, like field of dreams, those will live on forever. And I think those are movies that I think endure time and uh, certainly are things that, you know, you watch with your kids or, you know, young family members and, and say to them, like, it still holds up today, even after all those years. So with that, that is going to wrap I like up it. on this. I like edition, it. Yes. Of the friendly confines. Once again, our thanks to Melanie Newman of the Baltimore Orioles for joining us. For Chad, I'm Ryan. We appreciate you guys listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Have a good one. See you at the ballpark, everybody. Don't let anyone say that it's just a game. For I've seen other teams and it's never the same. When you're born in Chicago, you're blessed and you're a field. The first time you walk into Wrigley.